Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Stormforge Fireside Podcast. Uh, this week, in our lead up to KubeCon, we're talking all about pain points, and we're talking with a variety of people representing a variety of backgrounds. Uh, I, as always, am your host, Noah Abrahams, open source advocate here at Stormforge. And with me so graciously today is Brian Gracely. Brian, why don't you introduce yourself? I know. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Brian Gracely. I'm Senior Director of Product Strategy for uh, Red Hat's cloud platform, specifically uh, OpenShift and, and what we do around Kubernetes. Awesome. Um, we've got a, a handful of different perspectives coming along this week, and I like that um, you're representing a vendor perspective, something we represent as well. We're, we like vendors. Um, and vendors bring products and products sell pain points. So let's start at the beginning. Um, you've been with OpenShift for a long time, right? Yeah, so I, I, I joined Red Hat right when we started shipping OpenShift as a, as a Kubernetes platform. Um, previously it had been non-Kubernetes. So yeah, I've sort of lived through everything from, I, th I think we actually shipped the first version of, of OpenShift even before Kubernetes 1.0 and GA. So yeah, I've seen a lot of the pain points. So, so what were those points? What were people looking for that sort of drove this product's evolution that drove the development from, from the beginning? Yeah, wow. Um, I'll try and keep it fairly succinct. Um, I think when we first got, so if we first got started, you put this around 2015, um, we were somewhere between this, this, this uh, you know, PaaS is going to be the way that developers build applications. So very opinionated, um, hide a lot of the infrastructure, um, and, and so there was a lot of folks kind of in that camp, especially if you were from the, the application side of the world. And then you, uh, you know, you had people who were uh, enamored with Docker and being able to get, you know, low level container level stuff and, you know, consistency from, from desktop into production and, and, you know, kind of wanting to tinker. And, and when, when Kubernetes first came out, you sort of had this, this mashing together of both those things. So, so the thing that we've always been trying to fix or that's been the biggest pain point has been, do we, do we pay more attention and do we give more capabilities to the operations people or the, you know, the platform, so the people that, that run the, the thing that runs containers, or do we you know, hide a lot of that and, and uh, give more capabilities to the developers because ultimately applications are, are run the business. And, and that's been, you, know, you, you can extrapolate that in a lot of ways, but that's always been the biggest pain point that Kubernetes has been trying to find the right balance between. So you're on the product strategy track that's really focused on that sort of high level need, correct? Yep. So, so how do you gather the understanding? How do you wrap your heads around where the project's gonna grow, what the pain points are that the customers are working? I suppose this is sort of more of a explain to me product management is kind of this question, but how, what's your process look like when you're talking to customers and you're trying to figure out, you know, what do they need and where does it hurt? And how do you make it better for them? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great question because there's a lot of pieces to it. And, and I've explained it to people in a, in a bunch of different ways because it kind of depends, like you said, where you come from, what your perspective is. So on one hand, um, you know, there's the, there's the basic pain point of, I have this, this set of open source projects uh, and communities building things. 
And, and if you don't have any, any perspective on what you're building towards, um, you're, you're just sort of building things. So like one of the on, the, on the project side, one of the pain points that we've all tried to sort of overcome, at least from the earliest days to, to where we are now was when Kubernetes first got started, it was very Google centric, right? I mean, it came sort of as a, uh, you know, variation off of Borg, um, you know, when Craig and, uh, and Joe and all those guys were building it, their perspective was, I'd like to take this thing I've done at Google for a long time with Google skills, with Google scale problems and bring those into the world. And that's an awesome concept and, and we're glad that they did it. But one of the biggest things that we had to do, especially Red Hat as one of the earliest contributors was go, hey, um, that's not what American Express or Ford Motor or uh, you know Pfizer Pharmaceutical, that, they don't look like Google. And so what they need is things that are you know, capable of dealing with the non-cloud native application. They need to deal with persistent storage. They need to deal with uh, multi-tenancy or, or you know, role-based access control. And so in the earliest days, one of the things we had to bring to the projects was this just sort of perspective of things that weren't Google, right? Um, the second thing we have to do effective, uh, you know, in this concept is, you know, there's so much that comes out so fast out of whether it's Kubernetes project early on or all the things in the Cloud Native Computing Foundation is as you talk to, you know, customers or end users, whatever you call them, is them going, what is all this stuff and do I need it, right? So service mesh comes out or, um, you know, something in the security side of things comes out and they go, do I need that thing? Do, what does it, you know, what does it look like? Like, does it look like my existing security? Uh, you know, is this a developer thing? So you know, there's, there's the whole thing of kind of explaining to people, this is why this project got started. Like there's a, pro there's a problem, you may not have it yet, but as you grow your environment, you're going to have this problem and this will help fix it, right? So there's, a, there's an education aspect that we take out into the market. And then there's a, an aspect of it that is, you know, customers, end users, groups coming back to us and going, here's, you know, now that we have some education, now that we've used it somewhat, here's how we're using it. And this is where we'd like to see it go. And, and this is where, you know, we've seen a lot of things evolve, right? So we've saw, you know, people come back to the project initially and say, um, hey, we'd like to deploy this on top of VMware, on top of AWS, on top of Azure. We'd like you guys to build it such that it's aware of those things, right? Like, I don't want to have to know about all those. Oh, cool. Um, we are doing a bunch of stuff that's stateless applications, but the world isn't all stateless. Like we need you guys to figure out how to do stateful applications, like make it so that I can get to persistent disks and stuff like that. And, and so there's, there's always been, you know, a good flow of information that comes back. And what we're always trying to figure out is, um, you know, how many of those things can actually be solved with what exists. So, oh no, no, you know, we can solve that problem. You could look at it slightly differently. And other times when you have to go, yeah, that's, that's a huge problem. Um, I, I can see why 25 companies all have the same issue. Let's figure out how to get that into a working group, how to get that built, let engineers look at how to, and then we can figure out, you know, do you commercialize it? Do you put it in the open source project, whatever that might be. So, so there's always sort of multiple lanes that are coming and going uh, between, you know, the perspective of what's possible and what people actually, you know, are, are using it for and, and trying to find the right balance between solving it today and, and solving it two years down the road. Okay. So that brings up, um, in my mind, sort of an interesting question, because you've got this dichotomy now of 
what you're contributing to this uh, this larger enterprise class product. You're bringing it to you know the Amexes of the world, but you've also got whatever's going back upstream into individual contributors that might be maybe they work for a large company, maybe they're students, but they're all sort of operating as individuals typically. Uh, from my experience in the Kubernetes right, community. Right. Um, when you're talking about uh, how problems have been solved, you know, like it, you introduce a new feature into right. the OpenShift platform. What does it look like to communicate back to the, the world at large and, and to have that dichotomy when you're talking about we've solved this pain point, we've solved this problem? Yeah. It's a, it's a really, it's another good question. And it's an interesting um, sort of how the whole thing works together. So let me give you some examples. So, so you're right that, you know, in these upstream communities, um, the people doing the actual work, you know, they're, they're individuals, right? And, and sometimes they, they work for different companies and so forth, but there's also an aspect of it that is, <clears throat> yes, a feature or something can get put into the project, but, but when things are fairly, you know, like when things are, fairly significant, um, you know, a, a, a security framework, um, a how we're going to do a new class of deployments and so forth. There's some thought process that goes on that from a little more of a, of a group perspective, right? So, um, you know, Red Hat can't just jam a bunch of things in, Google can't just jam things. And there's people who look at this and go, hey, remember, we're all going to end up living with this software. Um, so I'll give you a couple of examples of sort of how that works in real life. Um, one of the things that, uh, I'll give you two or three examples. So in one case, um, when, when Kubernetes first came out, it, it had this idea that like, uh, you know, all store, right? So everything you're just gonna use, whatever's on your local disk on that local machine. And we came back and said, hey, you know, the enterprise doesn't typically work like that. It typically has these big storage pools, NFS and whatever. Google may not care about that because for GKE, that doesn't matter, but we're going to contribute some stuff that's going to allow, you know, a NetApp filer or an EMC storage or, or whatever down the road to come in. And so in that case, they look at that and they go, okay, you guys are willing to do the work. Um, you're willing to put that in and test it. Great. We'll accept that. Right. So that's sort of your, your path of pretty well-known problem. Somebody's willing to do the work. It gets into the project. It's, it's useful for everybody. Right. Um, but in some cases, the, the larger group that's over Kubernetes, some of the steering groups may look at something that comes in and go, you know, we're not sure if that thought process is mature enough, or we're not sure if we're ready to prioritize that capability. So I'll give you a second example. So when, when we took it out into the, the broader set of customers, one of the things they all came back with is they said, hey, look, we're a regulated industry. We have controls over security. And we said, okay, well, that's a role-based access control type of problem. And we created a concept of what became RBAC. Red Hat created this into RBAC. Uh, the Kubernetes community at the time said, we're not, we're not ready for it, right? We, we know it's a big problem. We don't know that it's been completely thought through enough, enough corner cases and edge cases. We're not willing to accept that, what you did. So this is where vendors and communities start to have to figure out, okay, what do you do? So in our case, we took the work that we did, which we thought was very good and complete at the time. We included it in OpenShift, but we still made the code readily available. It just wasn't in mainstream. 
Now, what was interesting is what happened was we would come back every new release and say, hey, I think this should get included. And again, it sort of took a little while. And then at some point, something else happened in the marketplace and some customer asked for it. And the folks at CoreOS um, said, hey, we want to go run with this. And so now you had a second sort of party within the community saying this is important. And they actually were the ones who drove it, that implementation into the market. They made some tweaks to make it a little simpler, uh, make it more full featured. So those things happen sometimes where, you know, a vendor tries to do some things, it's not right and whatever. And then a third example, um, and again, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I won't go too deep, much deep in details, but a third example was one of the things that we did in OpenShift, again, having worked with these sort of big gnarly enterprise companies was they said, we have this problem that people download stuff off the internet. They pull things from Docker Hub. Um, they're great for demos, but they all, are, they all run containers as root. And so we'd like you guys to figure out a way to prevent that from happening. And so we did it. Um, we were able to leverage some stuff that was down at the Linux level in SE Linux and in, in RHEL. Um, and we came back to the community and said, hey, we think this is a thing. You should implement this. And they said, no, we're going to go think about it uh, a little more. And so in our case, we have this product that's, that doesn't let you run as root. Most container Kubernetes implementations allow you to. And then, um, and shoot, I'm going to forget the, the feature name. Uh, but essentially it was, you know, don't let us do that. Uh, and it just got deprecated. I forget what it was. And we should edit this at some point. But, um, but that's another situation where the Kubernetes community said, no, we don't want to take this implementation. We think maybe it's too vendor specific. Fair enough. We're going to implement this sort of generic thing. But the problem was the timing of it was such that so many people were used to just getting stuff to work that going back and making something more restrictive became problematic and they couldn't kind of harness that beast and they end up having to deprecate it and look at something new. And so there's always this sort of give and take tension between what somebody can build, whether it fits in the community perspective, whether somebody puts it in a product. Um, and it doesn't always mean something is right or something's wrong. There's just, there's always, you know, multiple layers of the dynamics of how all that works. And those are just a couple of examples. Okay. That's, that's some great insight. Thank you for that. Sure. Um, I want, I want to kind of turn it on its ear now a little bit because yeah. uh, you gave us some great insight on what it's like to bring it to the market, but I also want to take a little bit of a look about what it's like for you evaluating internal pain points. If you're looking at, you know, the platform needs a new feature. Yeah. You're deciding on other technologies um, like, you know, whenever Ansible was introduced before it was a Red Hat product, yeah. um, you know, how do you decide on technologies to integrate inside the product when you have pain points that you you're looking at it internally that you need to fix? Yeah. And, and really what are, what are the questions that you ask yourself? Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's a, it's a, it's a great, it, it's a great challenge because it's the same. It's the same sort of dynamic, right? So, so in our case, within Red Hat, um, we, you know, we we have a handful of technologies that we've commercialized. So you mentioned Ansible. We've got a Linux distribution and and some other things. And you know, when when Kubernetes first got started, for example, and even still, really, um, there wasn't sort of one installer, right? There's two dozen installers. 
um, there wasn't a built-in monitoring thing. So like Prometheus didn't exist yet. People weren't using Grafana on the, you know, on the, on the normal. And so at the time, in, in the early days of OpenShift, we sort of said, okay, do we have something we can use? Because we know that's a hole, but there's not really a thing uh, that fits. It's sort of built for Kubernetes. So we've gone through a couple of, of iterations of some things that maybe we had internally, um, you know, products that we use for other things, virtual machines or other stuff that we sort of retrofitted to Kubernetes. Um, and in some cases, we've, we've kept those around. So for example, we had a technology called OpenShift templates that kind of preceded Helm. Um, a number of customers used them. They did similar types of things. And then what we typically do is once that, that area shifts over to a new standard, Helm is an example for packaging or operators for packaging, uh, Prometheus for monitoring. Um, we want to we want to adopt the thing that's that's most widely used. And and the, the challenge for us is always um, how much has it been already you know the previous thing already used by our customers. We don't want to pull the plug on them or sort of leave them uh, you know in a bad spot. So we have to support some things that aren't commonplace for a little while. And then we try and bring these new things in as quickly as possible and, and sort of run them in parallel for a while, help them move to the new stuff um, as quickly as possible. Because again, then, then our customers get the benefit of, well, I'm not just using Prometheus. I get all the plugins that go with Prometheus. I, get, I can find skill sets that work in that space, or I can use all the community helm charts or whatever it is. But yeah, we've gone through it a number of times. Um, you know, we have to ask ourselves, What's the engineering cost of making a change? Um, how much does that impact our customers in terms of, you know, if they're using something very heavily, you know, to shift over to something, do we have to build migration tools? Um, but it's, it's been really commonplace because if you think about the, the evolution of Kubernetes, like a lot's happened in the last five, six, seven years. And so if you, if you weren't flexible enough, you were going to get yourself into a bad spot um, and ultimately put your customers in a bad spot. Okay. So... That's what your that's what your thought process is leading in. What about once you've made some sort of decision? Yeah. Um, what questions do you ask yourself when something is ready to be released, ready to go out the door? Is there a separate set of questions where you're saying, okay, we we made a decision to get ourselves into this. Now before we we give it to them, are are there additional evaluators that go along with that? Yeah, I, I think we do. I mean, I think we do. A couple of things we we try and balance. <clears throat> does it make good technical sense, and does it make good business sense? Um, in the early days, for us, uh, <clears throat> you know, we were we were really just trying to keep up with what was going on. We were trying to build something. So, I, you know, even though OpenShift is part of a much larger company now, like we were we were very much like a startup. You know, we were sub hundred people. Uh, you know, revenues were sort of choppy and so forth. Um, so we were always trying to to find that right balance. I think as we got a little bigger um, and our, our scope got a little broader, we started looking at it as, will we, will we be able, you know, did we learn anything from, from before? And, and will, will this help us sort of grow it as we go forward? So, you know, a great example of that was the earlier version of, of OpenShift, um, OpenShift 3 was very much kind of one big piece of software, uh, if you will. 
And one of the things that we acquired when we acquired CoreOS was this technology now called operators, which has become really widespread. But that let us make the platform modular. So it solved a lot of problems for us. It made it easier to upgrade things. It made it easier to, to bring in third-party tools. It made it easier to test things. Um, but it was a massive, massive architectural change. And so you, know, you had to sort of go, you know, are we sure we want to do this? And then one of the things that we had to implement, um, and our customers, you know, do this all the time. Lots of customers do this. Is we had to start implementing telemetry capabilities within each piece of it to start understanding who's using this, how frequently are they using it, what patterns are they using this in, and um, and so we now have automated to collect that information. We can we have a little more visibility into how our customers use the products, and um, you know, so we're always looking back loops that aren't just you know, anecdotal conversations. We're looking for raw data. We're looking for, you know, trends that might be coming along. Um, and, you know, again, try and find that balance between what's, what's good business and what's, you know, what's the right technical path forward with the, with the information we have in front of us. I feel like with the, the speed of evolution, um, as a, as an anecdote, I, I, have a standing tweet at the top of my Twitter feed. This is uh, the uh, the biggest problem that Kubernetes has right now is sort of like trying to catch up on your DVR when there's eight new hours of content every day. Oh, yeah. um, and we have that same sort of phenomenon with all the new projects and all the new products that come along. And um, is there a additional emphasis that's put on I don't want to say throwing good money after bad, but in the, no, no, we're, we're going to have to reevaluate at a much higher, much more frequent uh, rate than we normally would with any other set of products. I think we do. I mean, I, I, you know, I'll give you a simple example of something that, that we have to, to deal with as a company, but a lot of our customers deal with the same thing. So, you know, for us, uh, Red Hat Enterprise Linux is this product that, that people expect to have a 10-year life cycle, five-year, 10-year life cycle. So there are still people that are on RHEL 5 and RHEL 6, even though we're, we're well into well, RHEL 8. <clears throat> but that's, that's what works for them, and that's a, that's a value to them. Um, you know, in the Kubernetes world, new releases come out every three or four months, and you know, we support them for you know, shorter periods of time, two or three years. You know, for us, just that difference um, is something that we have to sort of think through because we put the two of those technologies together. Oftentimes, um, our customers often go like, "Are you the ten-year company? Are you the three-year company?" Um, but it's the same. It's the same sort of challenge, like even companies have. So we'll deal with companies where, um, and, and we see this all over the place. Like their IT group, their central IT group is is sort of uh, incentivized to, you know, not make mistakes, not have outages. You know, go slow, be steady. And so the idea of, of touching infrastructure software every three or four months, they're like, that's insane, right? Like I, I want to touch it maybe every two years or three years. And, but they then have groups that are, you know, in their center of excellence or, you know, in their sort of advanced technology groups that want the latest features every three months. And so even within organizations dealing with Kubernetes, there's some that want it to be really stable and some that are like, give me the bleeding edge all the time. I can't get, you know, the latest Istio release fast enough. And so that, you know, that yin and yang is, um, you know, kind of summarizes what I think everybody in the Kubernetes 
community is dealing with is like, should we go fast? Should we be stable somewhere in between? Um, and it's, it's not one in, what kind of one thing fits all for everybody. All right. Uh, well, this has been great. Um, I think <laughs> we've got a lot of good insight about what it's like to work in both as a vendor, but specifically as a vendor in this really fast moving Kubernetes environment. Um, and as I said earlier, part of this is the lead up to KubeCon. We're going to have a booth. I know Red Hat's going to have a bigger booth because Red Hat is always in contention for that like diamond sponsor spot, right? Yeah. Um, is there anything you can tell us about what Red Hat's going to bring this year? Um, you know, this year is going to be secret? really strange because usually we, we build the booth maximum interaction, right? Lots of demos, lots of experts there just talking about code. The people who wrote the code are always there. Um, this year, it's going to be interesting because we don't know exactly how many people are going to show up. Um, but our expectation is um, lots of demos, you know, no, no sort of vendor fluff. Um, the, the people that we send typically are the contributors to the project, um, are folks who in similar roles that you have are out talking to developers every day. Um, so if you, you know, if you stop by the expectation is, um, you know, either you're going to get hands-on with something, um, we're going to be showing you stuff that's live. Uh, we want you to come to us with your problems and kind of help solve through some things. Um, so it's very engineering, uh, technical driven, um, you know, other than probably giving away some swag. So that's, that's always kind of the focus that we do. And we'll be focusing a lot on GitOps. We'll be focusing a lot on, um, you know, multi-cluster management, multi-cloud deployments and stuff. That's kind of the, the trend that we've been seeing a lot lately. Fantastic. Well, come visit Red Hat and Stormforge both Absolutely. at KubeCon. Um, and now we get to the fun portion of this, where we go through just a handful of rapid fire questions and we try and get some fun responses. Yeah. Ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Yes or no, pineapple on pizza? Uh, no. Okay. Favorite piece of technology? Any technology? Um, probably, probably the iPhone, just because it's it's so much a part of my life and it kind of is so it, it's it's so good at what it does it's sort of hidden uh but that's that and just the fact that i can stream every movie on the planet anytime i want is, is pretty cool awesome uh favorite open source project though i think if you say kubernetes you're cheating yeah um I, like i've been i've been following a lot of what's going on with the database space i just um i'm sort of fascinated that we went from decades and decades of nothing but SQL to, you know, kind of this massive explosion of everything from Kafka to Mongo to, you know, all of those, that, that stuff's fascinating to me. Cause it's like, every time I learn about a new one, it's this totally different use case that I never thought of. So the, yeah, kind of everything in that open source database space is interesting to me. Cool. Uh, favorite hobby. Uh, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a tinkerer kind of home repair, um, those types of things. I've got a, an old cabin that I like working on. So um, anything, anything where I get to kind of fix old stuff um, is my, my new hobby. Cool. Very hands-on. I like it. Uh, favorite place to vacation? Um, I, I've been lucky enough to go a lot of places. Um, anywhere I get to be outside. So whether it's, you know, you're in the ocean in Hawaii or the North Carolina beaches or know up in the mountains you go to Colorado or something Any, anywhere it's like outside get away from the tech stuff like I, I love it whether it's hot or cold 
Love it. Great answers. That's it. Cool. That's all we got. So thank you for joining us, Brian. This has been thank a you. wonderful conversation. Um, and to everyone who's watching, tune in tomorrow for our next episode. And hopefully we will see you all at both of these booths at KubeCon, either in person or virtual. We will see you there. Thanks, Noah. Bye.